This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I think networking makes things a lot faster. You'll learn about a lot of opportunities a lot more quickly. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, Sarah Nicholas. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and the stories authors are sharing with you. If you are, please consider leaving a review on your podcast app or sharing the episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show with a couple bucks a month, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. Today, we're going to hear from middle grade author Waka T. Brown. Waka is a graduate of Stanford University and the first American born in her family. Her debut memoir, While I Was Away, was published in 2021, and her second novel, Dream Annie Dream, will be released in 2022, both through HarperCollins' Quill Tree Books. Please welcome Waka to the show. Hello. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me here today. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing, and then how long did it take from there before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? When I was doing some research for a while I was away, I went into a lot of old journals and diaries, and I found this entry from July 11th, 1985. And so this is the summer before my eighth grade in which I've actually written, I think I'll write a book someday. So I would say that that is like the first definitive like evidence of the fact that I wanted to write a book. But, you know, I was... I was 13 then, I guess, and I was like, well, I'm not going to write it now. I'll write it later. (laughs) I went through school. I went through high school. And, you know, I don't know if you ever took this test during high school, but it's like a career aptitude test. And so they ask you all sorts of questions like, would you be willing to work in an office? Do you want to work from nine to five? Would you be willing to? And so they ask you a series of questions of what you think you'd be willing to do, you would like to do, and you absolutely would not do. And so the teachers asked us to answer as honestly as we possibly could. And the only two careers that popped up for me by the end were writer and artist. (laughs) And I remember my teacher saying, you know, maybe you should be a little bit more flexible in your answers (laughs) and take it again. And so I did. And like another profession popped up, which I have never forgotten, which is terrazzo worker. What? And I guess I know a terrazzo worker, I guess, is someone who puts those little pebbles inside concrete and creates like cobblestone streets. Oh. And I don't know why, you know, how my answers changed, resulted in that career path as well. But I mean, that always kind of stuck with me because I was like, oh, well, If I'm being as honest with myself as possible, then writer and artist sounds pretty good. But, you know, during college, I really kind of wanted to major in English. I always loved books. I always loved writing. But my parents were like, you know, an English degree isn't going to get you anywhere. You need something practical, you know, because 
I went to Stanford and my parents was like, we're not sending you to Stanford for an English degree. <laughs> and so I majored in international relations, which is also something that I was interested in, but I would have to say it wasn't a passion. Like I really wanted to do something more creative. But at that time, I felt like the logical part of me understands that international relations would be much more of a logical path towards like a career. After I graduated, I still wanted to write and I had always loved movies. And so when I saw some movies and I was just very moved by them and I said, you know, I'm I want to write movies. I want to write screenplays. And so in my mid 20s, I took a screenwriting class, you know, for adults. It happened after work. Then I just started writing a lot of screenplays and I would say that it was about two decades worth of writing screenplay after screenplay and pitching them at like a writer's conference and networking as much as I could from Oregon or, you know, from, I guess I was in Northern California for a lot of that time. It wasn't until 2016 where, you know, I had the idea for while I was away and even a studio exec said, don't write a screenplay this time, try writing that as a book. The initial spark happened in 1985, but I didn't actually start it until 2016. Wow. Can you tell me about the moment you realized that you wanted to be a published author? As I mentioned, screenwriting was my first writing passion, and I didn't really think too much about becoming like a book author until one of my screenplays I thought would be pretty adaptable to a graphic novel. That was probably around 2014, I would say. And I started looking into who do I know who's a graphic novelist? And so there actually is an author illustrator in my town. And I found from a friend of a friend his contact information and we had coffee. And he told me about SCBWI. And he goes, have you heard of SCBWI? And I was like, no. And he said, you know, it's a really good resource. You should try becoming a member and go to a conference. And so that's when I started kind of segueing from like screenwriting into the possibility of graphic novels, which then became the possibility of novels. That seems like a natural trajectory. Yeah. <laughs> so once you decided you wanted to do it, how did you learn more about the publishing industry? Like how it works, how to query, how to go about it, everything like that? I became a member of SCBWI, and then I attended their conference, which I thought was a really great way for someone who's starting out to attend a class, like how to write a good query letter. Like when I started writing queries, I took all those notes from, those cla from that class, and I basically followed the directions, and that's how I wrote a query. I also networked a lot through my screenwriting contacts, one of my mentors told me, you have to be on Twitter. Twitter was relatively young. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't, I don't like the idea of Twitter. Like it doesn't, I don't get it. But he's like, no, all the writers are on Twitter. You have to have a Twitter account. And so I started that. And it actually ended up being some of the best advice I've gotten because it's a great place to network. Through the writers I've met on Twitter, I can trace like the opportunities I've gotten that led me to being published. Nice. 
So many authors I've interviewed for this podcast have mentioned Twitter when it comes to learning about the industry. And then what happened? Can you break down for us kind of your journey from then to signing your first book contract? You know, screenwriting is a difficult, it's a difficult medium. It's fun to do, but there's a lot of differences between screenwriting and novel writing. And one is accessibility. Like I know there's a lot of discussions on Twitter, how they wish the publishing industry would be more transparent. And I really think that the publishing industry is so much more transparent than like the (laughs) screenwriting and film industry. I had written so many screenplays and I've entered into contests and I pitched them at conferences and I've gotten people to read them and I've gotten studio execs to read them and offer me encouragement, but I really didn't get much headway. I never made a sale. I was getting kind of burnt out and actually a film exec told me, you should try writing about your experience when you were 12 years old. I remember thinking, well, this isn't a film. I don't know how I would approach this as a screenplay. So I took a class. I took a class at this organization called Literary Arts in Portland, and it was called Memoir Boot Camp or Memoir Writing Boot Camp. I found that that's a really great way to just kind of kickstart yourself in a different medium. And so that was early 2016, and I probably had a first draft done in about nine months. And it was pretty rough because it was the first time I'd written anything that wasn't a screenplay. (laughs) You know, I went through some drafts, and I started to query, and I started getting response like, this is a great concept, but I'm not connecting with the writing, which made me think, I'm not a good writer or this, is, this isn't working. But through one of the friends I made on Twitter, she said, well, you know, have you heard of this initiative called Pitch Wars? And I'm like, I've never heard of it. And she's like, well, it sounds like something that would be good for you because they're taking unagented authors who have completed manuscripts and then you'll work, you'll work with an author who will help you revise the manuscript until it's agent ready. And then there's an agent round. And I'm like, that sounds great. And so even though Pitch Wars had, I guess, been happening for a while, I just decided to apply and I got accepted. That four months was probably the most stressful, like four months in my writing life, because just the expectations, I realized, okay, she wants a completely new draft. My mentor wanted a new draft in eight weeks. Wow. And I was like, how, how, you know, and then I was like, I guess I'm just going to have to start writing. And what I tend to do to make things manageable is I break things down into a schedule. And so I'm like, okay, I have this many pages and this many days, which means every day I need to get 10 pages done. And that's what I had to do (laughs) after a really extensive revision, and then another smaller revision. I participated in the agent round for the 2018 Pitch Wars, and I received a lot of requests, but I wasn't getting like offers right away. Maybe a couple months in, I got my first offer, and I nudged the other agents, and so then I got another offer, and that's how I signed my agent. And then 
With my agent, I went through two more revisions, and I also put together a proposal. It's nonfiction since a memoir, so she also wanted a proposal. And then I went on sub, I believe it was September of 2019. My dates, I'm not sure. I think that's right. And then three weeks later, it went to auction and it sold in like a two book with a two book contract. I was really pleased because, you know, my fellow Pitch Wars writers were telling me, be prepared to be on sub for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was three weeks by the time I signed. It's a really great experience in that it took me a really long time, I felt like, as a beginning writer to when I finally signed a contract, but at least the sub period was short. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, you entered Pitch Wars without really knowing a whole lot about it. Did you realize at the time you got in that only like three to four percent of people get into Pitch Wars? I gradually became aware, you know, (laughs) as I talked with other authors and, you know, some other authors were saying, oh, yeah, this is my third or fourth time applying. And, you know, I noticed on Twitter, too, people were, you know, saying, oh, I really, really wanted to be part of this. But congratulations to all of you who made it. And I noticed there were a lot of people who were disappointed and I was like, oh, I'm really lucky, <laughs> you know, because this was my first manuscript that wasn't a screenplay. I don't know. I kind of felt like I've put in the hours. I've put in the hours in a different form, but I've put in the hours. So, mm-hmm. so you do feel like your time writing screenplays helped you when it was time to write a novel? I do. I feel like what helped even more was just reading a lot of really good middle grade novels because, Mm. you know, the structure of story, screenplays or novels is not that different. Yeah. And the concept behind character, backstory, dialogue is not that different. But the actual words and how they appear on the page is quite different. (laughs) And so um, my mentor's advice was just like, read as many middle grade novels as you can. Because one of the comments that I got early on when I was querying was people weren't connecting to the voice. It was frustrating because like in my screenplays, people would remark, you have a distinct voice. I like your voice. But it wasn't translating into like my middle grade work. I needed to get a feel of what that middle grade voice was. And so to do that, there's really not much else you can do except read a lot of middle grade. Yeah, that's great advice. Can you read your successful query letter for us? Sure. With Pitch Wars, I think writers have a leg up because so many agents and publishers know about Pitch Wars. So I think this is an okay query letter, but it was a query letter through Pitch Wars. So to keep that in mind. Thank you for requesting my manuscript during Pitch Wars. While I Was Away is a 60,000-word middle-grade memoir about the summer I was sent away from my home in Kansas to attend school in Japan. When I was 12 years old, my Japanese-born parents feared that I was losing my culture. As a result, they sent me to live with a difficult grandmother I barely knew and attend Japanese school during what should have been my summer vacation. When I was there... I was no longer the all-A's pipsqueak, but the big dumb jock, and my home was not six people noisy, but quietly suffocating. 
To survive, I had to embrace my new identity and even my grandmother without losing myself. Japan in the mid-80s is a time with which most will not be familiar, but the themes of family and friendship, feelings of loneliness and being an outsider, and the value of emotional intelligence versus book smarts are timeless and universal. Children who ever had to learn a new language, navigate complicated family relationships, or become accustomed to a new culture will also be able to relate to while I was away. In other avenues, the DC Asian Pacific American Film Organization produced my short film Double Tap, which was an official selection for both the DC Shorts and Portland Film Festivals. My feature-length screenplays have placed in several writing competitions. I live in Portland, Oregon with my husband and three boys and work remotely for the Stanford Program on International and Cross-Cultural Education, or SPICE, a nonprofit group where I teach an online course for Japanese high school students about U.S. society and the U.S.-Japan relationship. Per your request, I'm submitting my full manuscript. Thank you for your time and consideration. I think that's a great query letter. <laughs> Thank you. How has your experience been since signing your contract, especially were there any surprises along the way? So I feel like a lot of writers had more insight into the publish industry by the time they were signed than I did. So I felt like almost everything was a surprise. Fortunately, my editor is really kind and she's very patient, but I was really surprised that the first thing they want to do is they want to talk about the cover, which I thought, isn't this the last thing, you know, <laughs> isn't this, but they really need to get the artwork, I guess, started and it takes a lot of time. So that really surprised me. Another thing that surprised me was my agent arranged a two book contract for the sale. And I said, I don't have a second book. I was trying to, I was like, <laughs> Hey, I don't have a second book. And she's like, I like to arrange two book contracts. And in retrospect, it's smart because it's moving your career along. Like there's a guaranteed second book as long as you write it and everything's approved. And so I remember being a little nervous about that because I didn't have a second book in mind. That really surprised me with how quickly book number two came together. I guess if you have someone who's knowledgeable and who can talk you through some ideas and give you a little bit of guidance, then that eliminates a lot of the second guessing and floundering and, you know, wandering around in circles that you sometimes have with a book that has no input from other people initially. So that was a surprise. It's a welcome surprise. You also had been reading all of those middle grade books, which I'm sure helped you with coming up with a second book. And you had, sounds like, two decades of generating story ideas. So you had some practice. Yeah, yeah. Although it's funny because one of my ideas was a screenplay that I had written. And it was one of my favorite screenplays. And I was really hoping they'd accept that idea for book number two. And they liked a different one that was just kind of sort of formed <laughs> more than that one. So I was like, okay. <laughs> but it did come together quickly. And I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of how it reads and critique partners who've read it. They're like, yeah, you know, there's a confidence in your prose that wasn't there beforehand. And that's, that's great to hear, you know, because that's what you're hoping for anyway. Mm-hmm. It is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. 
It really has nothing to do with actual DNA, but it's just a <laughs> classification that we put on authors sometimes. Are you a pantser or a plotter? I am a plotter. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? An underwriter, and that is a, an influence of my screenplay writing. Yes, I am a drastic underwriter, and I have been told that my first drafts read like screenplays. Oh, <laughs> you should try screenplays then. <laughs> Maybe. Do you tend to write more in the morning or at night? I write better in the morning, but in reality, the time I have is at night. Whenever you start with a new book or story, do you start with a character or plot or concept or something else? It's always the concept followed by the character, and at the very end comes plot, and it's my weakness. Structure and pacing has always been my weakness. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee, definitely. Yay, team coffee. <laughs> Whenever you write, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Silence. I like music, but I find that I like it too much. And so if one of my favorite songs comes on, I'll stop writing and I'll just listen to it and I get distracted. So I always have silence. Whenever you're writing your first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? I think I'm more of a get it right person. What tools or softwares do you use to draft? You know, I use Word. <laughs> That's all I use. Nothing wrong with that. Yep. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? I prefer drafting when it's going well. <laughs> but I don't, when I'm stuck, I'm like, oh. Revising is rewarding when you get through an edit and you see how much better it is after you've gotten through that edit. So it's kind of both, I guess. <laughs> do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Sequential. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? I would say I'm an introvert in that like being out in crowds with a lot of people can be exhausting. And if I don't have alone time during the day, I'm exhausted. But once I get to know someone, I can talk their ear off. <laughs> there are plenty of talkative introverts. Yeah. <laughs> the show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You already read your query for us, and now we're going to get into that second cue. What were some of the qualms or worries you had on your journey, and were they realized, or how did you overcome them? Well, I think the worry of any writer who has yet to be published, or you know, even with screenwriting, that you'll never make a movie, and your book will never be published, and no one will ever read your stuff. That was a worry I had. And I worried that that was the case, because I simply just wasn't a good writer. I would say those were kind of like the two biggest worries that always kind of hung over my head. That's interesting. This is a side note, but I just started The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, and I've never read it before, but I've heard people talk about it, and I was offered an audiobook version of it from the publisher for the 25th anniversary. And that is one of the first things she has you do is write down, I am a good and prolific writer. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're going to get into that third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that is different or interesting or unique? 
I've heard a lot of writers talk about this, so I don't know how unique it is, but oftentimes when I encounter an obstacle or I call them story knots, like a K-N-O-T, I'll just stop and I'll go on a run or a walk. I'll just think about it while I'm running or walking. And a lot of times it makes the run go by faster too, but I'll solve it during that process. Sometimes I don't mean to, but it happens when I'm driving <laughs> as well. And uh, it happens in the shower. Yeah, I'm, I'm not the type of writer who sits in front of a screen and tries to solve things. If I'm stuck, I get up and I do something else. And that often helps. Another technique that I know a lot of writers do, but I still swear by, is the Pomodoro technique, where you just set the timer for 25 minutes. And yeah, nine times out of 10, the timer goes off and I just keep on writing. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny and weird to me because I'm listening to it today and then having this conversation with you now. That's another thing in the artist's way, taking time away from your work to help you generate ideas about your work, specifically mentioning walks and showers, which I guess Albert Einstein was famous for saying that he got his best ideas in the shower. Yeah, I think it's because you're actually relaxed. Mm -hmm. When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? I think a lot of writers can relate that sometimes you get a rejection that's so soul crushing <laughs> that it really kind of throws you into the depths of despair. You know, part, part of it was my fault. I queried too early. It was actually a fictionalized version of while I was away. Hmm. I tried to make something maybe a little older for YA, maybe new adult, but it was fictionalized and I didn't have my voice down. It was a first draft, but I queried someone because they liked the idea. They said, send, send me chapters, send me chapters. So I did. And her response was just like, um, yeah, I like the idea, but your writing is such that I don't think we need to continue this dialogue any farther. What? And I thought, yes, it was. I mean, I think a simple not for me would have done yeah. as opposed to like really targeting my writing. And like I said, it was partially my fault. I, I queried too early. But at that time, I was venturing into something other than screenwriting. And so with that rejection, I was like, ugh, I'm going to go back to screenwriting. <laughs> and so then after that, I did write like two of my favorite screenplays. I did. I, I went back to something that was more comfortable and I don't think it's a bad thing because I liked writing screenplays at that time, you know, and it felt to me what I needed to do to kind of get over that that rejection and those comments. And I stuck to it because I actually like the writing process. And I think when the words are flowing and you get lost in the story and the characters are writing their own dialogue, it's a great feeling. And so if that never happened again, I think it would be, that would be hard. Like the joy of writing wouldn't be there, but I still just got a lot of joy from the writing process. And so I guess that's why I stuck to it. I got one of those comments from an agent too. It was part of a blog event where you could submit your work and the agent would give you feedback. It was an early version of my debut book, and the agent comment was, 
There is absolutely nothing about this that I like. Oh, no. Yes. I almost quit writing in that moment. Wow. Yeah. You know, I don't understand that. I think a simple not for me is <laughs> it's enough, right? Wow. I just don't think saying something so definitive leaves any room for growth or interpretation or anything. Yeah. I mean, I think if you continue to work, you are going to grow as a writer. Speaking of, what do you feel like are some of the biggest mistakes that you made along the way? Okay, so I would definitely say querying too early. Just because I'm excited about the work doesn't necessarily mean that it's ready. I did query while I was away, before Pitch Wars, and, you know, I got a lot of full manuscript requests, but then not a lot, like, no offers. It really showed me, in hindsight, the concept was good. You know, I got that comment quite a bit. I like the concept, but the writing isn't for me. And so, in hindsight, it totally means you're querying too early. You need to work on this a little bit more. And I don't know if this is necessarily a, mis a mistake, but I kind of wish I got into novel writing a little bit earlier. I really do love film. I love the movies. And I'm stubborn. So I felt like if I just keep on writing screenplays, eventually this has to work out. Like, eventually this has to work out. And then I realized, maybe it would have, I don't know. But I also thought, if I started novel writing earlier, then maybe then I would have like intellectual property to sell, you know, film rights to. And maybe I could have gotten a movie that way. I mean, that's still a possibility in the future. But like the fact that I was so stubborn about like I am writing screenplays, I wish I had been more open minded in my approach to writing a little earlier. I have been really surprised by the number of writers I've interviewed for the podcast who said that one of their biggest mistakes was querying too early. Mm -hmm. Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons you learned on your journey to publication? I think there's a lot of networking involved in my success. If I hadn't been on Twitter, I wouldn't have met the writer who introduced me to Pitch Wars. This same writer also introduced me to the screenwriting competition that I won and got a short produced for, but it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't networked, you know, if I hadn't reached out to the author illustrator who was in my town, I wouldn't have learned about SCVWI. I think there are a lot of writers who are shy and kind of that reaching out to strangers is intimidating, but and I, I think you can still get there without doing that, but I think networking makes things a lot faster. You'll learn about a lot of opportunities a lot more quickly. I don't remember who said it, but I heard this quote years ago that says, the work can only speak for itself if someone is willing to listen. Yep. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. Who are some of the people who helped you along the way and how? I've uh, participated in Willamette Writers for a really long time. It's a local conference where film execs and development execs come up and agents and authors speak at. And I've been really fortunate to be able to go. It's like a 
two or three days of just so much learning. And, you know, Pitch Wars was great. Pitch Wars really, I'm indebted to my mentor. That's what I found in publishing. There's a lot of free initiatives where there are authors who just will mentor unpublished writers and help. And it's free. And that just kind of blows my mind um, that there are so many people actually who are so kind as to help you get a leg up that way. And so my mentor is Rebecca Petruk, and she's still involved with Pitch Wars. It really helps to have a great agent on your side because my agent is Penny Moore. Yeah, she found things in my contract that, you know, I didn't even think of. Like, I wouldn't have even thought to say, you know, get me a two-book deal. Didn't even cross my mind, but, you know, it crossed her mind. It helps to have a great editor. (laughs) My editor is really nice. And, you know, it's funny when you're choosing an editor, they kind of have to walk this line between being very complimentary of your work, but also having a lot of ideas of how to make it better. She's always been so effusive and enthusiastic about my writing. It really helps. But then she also has a lot of really good ideas of how to make it better. And so it's a really great combination. Oh, and the writer who introduced me to to Pitch Wars and other contests is Shoshana Rosenbaum. She is a director and writer. She has been making her own short films. Yeah, I've been trying to get her to cross over into the novel world. I've been trying to get a lot of screenwriters actually to cross over (laughs) into the novel world because they have great stories, but just the process of getting a film picked up, let alone all the way to the screen, is a really, really hard process. And um, so many of my screenwriting friends are writing stories that deserve to be told and read and shared. And I feel like if they can get it in book form, at least, you know, at least there will be readers there. Mm. Those are all the questions I have for you. Do you want to tell us about your upcoming book? My book that's going to come out in 2022 is called Dream Annie Dream. And other than my screenplays, it's actually my first work of fiction. So that was exciting not to be constrained by the events and, you know, facts of my life like I was with my memoir. It's kind of a deconstruction of the American dream. It does take place in 1987-1988, Topeka, Kansas. So in some ways, there are some elements of my personal life that I've taken and put into my writing, like all writers do, but it is fiction. It's about a 12-year-old Japanese-American girl who is just filled to the brim with lots of dreams for herself, including becoming a famous actor, playing in the NBA. You know, she used to want to be an archaeologist. So her dreams are kind of typical, like very lofty childhood dreams. And during the course of the story, she starts to realize that some of these dreams aren't going to come true. And some of them might not come true because of circumstances beyond her control. And so we're looking at the American dream from the perspective of someone who feels like she only has certain choices within that idea of the American dream. Sounds really good. Thank you.
Waka, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Waka's entry in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on your podcast app, tell your friends, or share this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show with a couple bucks a month, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.